I don't know how to describe it other than like like a demon type of sound. But it's silhouetted, hulking, every bit of five and a half feet wide, 13 to 14 foot tall, pitch black. The one thing that ran through my mind when I had this encounter was I don't have a big enough gun. Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning. Welcome to Creek Devil. I'm speaking with Chris today. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Doing great. Well, usually what I do is just sort of turn the microphone over to whoever I'm interviewing. So um, go ahead and start wherever you'd like. Okay, well, I'd like to start by first saying that um, the whole subject of Sasquatch was not something I was completely aware of until only a few years ago. We had been plagued by something in my childhood from the time I was about, I'd say, 11 or 12 years old. And all we did was call it this thing in the woods, like it was the thing in the woods. And I only put it together recently that, oh, my God, that was probably a Sasquatch. What part of the country are we talking about? Uh, I live in western Pennsylvania. I live north of Pittsburgh. Okay. Okay. And I've done some research, and it comes to find out that over the years, there's been quite a lot of activity here. And I'm actually only a, like a couple of hours away from Clarion, from the Allegheny National Forest. So we're in a real active area, and the ge geography and everything is perfect. We have a lot of rivers, waterways, food coverage, um, deer you know, everything, farms and, and tons of woodlands. And where I live, we have a ton of old abandoned coal mining tunnels and shafts, which I think we believe a lot of them probably hide out in there. Sure. Yeah. So um, I know uh, it started when I was about, like I said, 11 or 12, and we started hearing something coming up through the brush on the other side of the um road because we live down in a holla or a holler you know if that's whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. and, um once it would get dusk and it only started uh once i was 11 or 12 and it would come rushing through the brush and through the trees and we would never see it because it would be just dark enough to where you couldn't really see things but it would be preceded by this horrendous smell mm -hmm. The only way we could describe it was that it smelled like burning rubber. You know, we always said it smelled like burning rubber or body odor or something like that. And you could hear it coming through the trees like a freight train. And we just knew it was something we didn't ever want to witness. And so every night we would be in by dark because we knew that that thing was going to come out, whatever it was, it was going to be active and we just didn't want any part of it. And like I said, I, I used to watch shows on UFOs and all that, but I wasn't entirely familiar with Bigfoot until later. Right. And then I, you know, and then I moved, you know, locally, but lived more in town for many years and everything like that. Fast forward until about seven years ago, six, seven, eight years ago, I moved in with my son's father and he literally lives in the Gilpin Township area in the middle of nowhere. Um, he is no longer with us. He has passed on. But while we were living there, um, he was 
a very intelligent man, had two two college degrees. He was an active duty police officer, worked midnights, and he would come home. And the one day he said to me, he goes, did you see our apple tree? And I said, no, why? He goes, oh, because I think there was a Bigfoot out there eating the apples off of it. Just real casually. And I'm like, what? You know, like, you know, this morning, seven in the morning conversation. And he had shown me, like, a pattern of how apples had completely disappeared off this tree. And we live literally in the middle of nowhere. Like, you go nowhere and then you go further. And that's where we live. No street lights, no signs, no nothing. There was only one house past us and then it was nothing but woods. And he, um, he thinks that they raided our apple tree, and I think he thought sometimes they got some of our chickens. How were the apples taken off the tree that made him believe it was a Sasquatch doing it? Well, because the tree was on the edge of our parking lot, and it was so remote out there that he would actually, we would leave our keys in the ignition of our cars. So that's how remote it was. Wow. And he, he took me out and he showed me. And there was like, the best way to describe it is there was like a big arch of just apples completely missing. Like something had just stood there mm -hmm. and reached as far as it could reach and just picked off all the apples. There was no cores, no nothing. Like everything was gone, everything was eaten. And it was up so much higher than we ever could have reached. Like we would have needed a ladder. And he said, he goes, well, nobody came out here in the middle of the night with a flashlight and a ladder to pick apples off of our tree. Good point, yes. <laughs> You know, he's like, and he explained that there were um, tunnelways and wilderness and everybody out there had chickens or goats or guineas or everything like that, you know. And then it was right literally across the railroad tracks from the river, from uh, the, um, like, Freeport Kiskey area of the uh, Allegheny River. Mm -hmm. So there was an abundance of food and coverage there for him. And, um... I kind of just was like, okay, and remember, made sure I locked the doors at night when he went to work and everything. And then I kind of just started doing some research and just become completely, like, curious about it. And then I started looking at the BFRO website and everything and found a lot of activity in the area. And then, um, you know, we kind of just, we ended up going our own ways. And I moved in with my uh, mom, with my little one down in town, and I took him to... A park that I'm not going to specify it. It's a little bit of a drive from from where we lived, but we would go frequently with my one friend um, because um, we just like to get out and be in the woods. We go mushroom hunting, we go berry picking, we do all that. Sure. And I took him out. Uh, my first sighting. It was a very brief sighting, but I think that that's how a lot of them are, and people don't even realize. I didn't realize what I had seen until my friend Bill, who who comes uh, bigfooting with me, actually really pointed it out, and we went and did some reenactments. It was a fall day. It was a mild day. It was probably in late September or October of about three and a half years ago, and I was in the playground at the very back end of this park, and um, I went up, there, you know, like nowadays they build these really big elaborate playgrounds where there's like five slides to go down and nets to climb. And, you know, you go up and like 25, 30 feet into the air. And I walked up there and I was playing with him and letting him go down the slide and everything. And I'm telling you, Will, I never would have seen it 
if it hadn't stuck out so Mm -hmm. much. And the only reason it stuck out, I saw it out of my peripheral vision a couple times because, you know, in the fall, like out here, the leaves are brown, the trees are, everything's brown, you know, and kind of like that one color. This Mm -hmm. was so much darker. It, It just was very dark not black, but I would say a, a really, really dark brown. Mm-hmm. And I saw it leaning out of the tree. And I never actually saw a face, but I looked like what might have been a shoulder. And, and sometimes it would be a little further out, and so, then it would be kind of like go back behind this tree a little bit. And I start looking at it from the corner of my eye. And I'm watching, and I'm looking, and I'm like, it's a little weird. And I actually thought for a minute, what if that's a bear? You know, we haven't seen them in that park, but they are in the area. So I was like, hmm, I was like, is that a bear? And then I thought, you know, even worse, maybe it's some weird, crazy person out here, you know, looking at kids and, you know, people and stuff like that in the park. It's happened. And um, so I just grabbed my phone and I checked it and I literally held it off to my right. And I just snapped a few pictures and then I kept it in my hand and I left it to my side because there was a part of this construction of this playground that blocked it. And then I kept watching my son and I heard a little bit of noise and it was very quiet, like it was moving very deliberately. And I looked back and it had moved further. So I took another couple of pictures and then I was watching him some more because like I said, he was only like two or three. So I really had to keep an eye on him. And um, then finally it disappeared and I sat on it for a couple of days and I kind of put it out of my mind. And then I just said to my friend Bill, I said, hey, because he's my best friend and we talk about everything. And I said, hey, I saw something weird at the park and I think there might have been a bear out there. And he I said, I got pictures and stuff and I sent him the pictures and everything. And he messaged me. He said, I don't think that was a bear. Because it it appeared to be upright, you know what I mean? Like standing, it wasn't low to the ground or anything like that. He said, let's go back out there. So we did. And I stood right where I stood, where I took the pictures. He went up there and lined up the shot. Then he went out and stood where it was standing. And he said, whoa, this thing had to have been a lot bigger than you thought. Because that is actually that tree where I saw it was actually on a bit of a slope. So it was on a hill. So he estimated this thing to probably be about eight feet tall because he's about five, six, five, seven. And it was about two and a half, three feet over his head where the top of his head was. And I have to find those pictures. I knew we have them somewhere, but the one where it was kind of walking away, Mm -hmm. it almost looks like you can see like the back of the head and the shoulders. And there really wasn't a neck. It just kind of looked like it, like was a bit of a hump from like a neck right into its uh, shoulders and back. And um, I never had a visual after that, but he was like, I really think that's what this was. And my cousin lives out here and has heard things. So I'm, I'm thinking they're out there. And I was really beside myself. And after that, I just dove right in. I just dove right in, started studying it, learning everything I could. And um, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, why isn't that, you know, a a Bigfoot? That very well could have been because I know they're curious about kids and people and Mm -hmm. everything like that. And then we went back out there a few weeks later, and that's um, just in that one back part of that park. That's when we saw uh, stick structures starting to pop up. And, And I have pictures I've sent some to Jeremiah 
we started finding stick structures and X formations and, and all that stuff, um, tree breaks, possible tracks. We just started finding it mm-hmm. all. It's been there ever since. And, and for the past three and a half years, that's our main site where we go and we uh, kind of monitor the activity. And um, we found different sized prints. Some are, are smaller that appear to be juvenile. We found some really interesting rock piles way back um, in the woods off this one trail in January. And, and the rocks had to have been carried there. And, you know, we try to rationalize it first. You know, if it's a tree, was it snow load? Was it the wind? Was it natural? Did it die because it's old? You know, and then once all that's kind of ruled out, that's when we say, okay, this this may be a Bigfoot. But these teepee structures <laughs> and asterisks and these trees, like, stuck upside down with the root side up into another tree mm-hmm. was not natural. And we just can't figure out, okay, yeah, it's a public park. And I always say it could have been people. It could have been people. And, you know, he's like, but why? Why would people come out here, especially in the harsh cold of Pennsylvania winter, to to form rock piles or make structures in the hope that somebody's going to come out here and walk and know about Bigfoot and then go, oh, hey, I think Biggie said it's more likely that a Bigfoot did it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know one time um, at that park we found uh, just some really odd stuff. We found some, I guess, what they refer to as glyphs around the big uh field around that playground where i had my sighting and there's fields uh surrounded by trees but there's a huge area where it's open field and you know we're like where did these branches come from where did these sticks come from they're laid out in formation i don't know much about glyphs we take some pictures i know it's interesting and uh one time we found um the netting that they put around little trees when our deers go into rut to protect the uh, trees from getting uh, injured. One of them had actually been taken off of the tree and stuffed up into the branches because they were still really little trees. Mm-hmm. And it was stuffed up into the branches and it stuck out like a sore thumb. He's, Bill's like, what is that? And why is that there? And a park employee wouldn't do that why would they take it off and stick it in the limbs you know like it just didn't make sense so we have a lot of uh things going on here and um i've never been really scared of them or anything i had an audio for the first time this winter when we stayed at my aunt's house which is right next door to where i grew up and we had to deal with the thing in the woods Mm -hmm. We also had an incident about five days after that where um, this was the one that really scared me. We heard my son was there with me and my aunt, who's older. She's a lung transplant patient. We're in the middle of nowhere, and we hear this banging on the steps that go to the back porch. And... We just thought it was a raccoon or something. There's animals out there, dogs, raccoon. I mean, there's everything out there. So we didn't pay no mind to it, but it became more persistent. And then we started hearing like a, like a smacking. Like it sounded like somebody was literally slapping the side of the house. And mm-hmm. that's the house where we were. And it was so adamant. She got up, looked out the windows. It was down below the windows um, because the house is on a hill. We couldn't see anything. 
And it got so bad that she's like, hey, I'm a little worried that somebody's trying to get into the house because there's a basement door down there. And I was like, okay, so I called Bill and I was going to ask him to come out and check it out. And then I heard this noise and I couldn't place it, but it's one of those noises that you know, you know what it is. Sure. You know, like, what is that? I can't quite place it, but I know what it is. And I was talking to him, and I was like, this is really weird. And he heard it. He could hear it from the phone. He said, you know, there might be somebody out there messing around, maybe trying to see if anybody will come out and maybe break into the cars. Because if you're out there, it's pitch black. Nobody's going to see anything. They have a little dusk at dawn light on their front porch, but it only lights up that first part around their front porch. And other than that, it is blackness. So he said, you should you should call the cops and tell them to come and take a look. And I said, okay. And while I was talking to him, I heard that noise again going from the back side of the house back up to the front of the house. And um, I told him, I said, okay, well, I'm going to go and I'll let you know what's going on. So I hung up with him and I was getting ready to call the 911 operator. And I was getting ready to dial it and I just sucked it up. And I looked out the front window in their kitchen and I immediately knew what that sound was because their garbage can was not where it originally is. It had been pulled like back almost where it was supposed to be, but it was like almost out onto the road. So that's the noise I heard was, you know, the sound of somebody dragging a plastic garbage can like across the concrete or something to put it out for the garbage man. That's what it was. And something had moved the garbage can back to around where the banging was and then moved it back. It was empty. So I, call, I called 911 and she came out. The police came out and they had been looking around for cars and everything on the way up. Explained to him what happened. Said, hey, just want to make sure nobody's breaking into the cars or anything. My aunts live out here. They're older. I don't want anything happening. And um, I told him about the garbage can and he said, well, it's weird. He said, because it wasn't a bear and it wasn't a raccoon because they would have tipped it over and not like picked it up and put it back and drug it and then carried it back he said so it had to have been something that could drag it and move it and bring it back and he said i can't find any people though he said i looked i didn't see anybody running up the road with flashlights because there's nowhere to park there's where i was parked and then you have to go down around a bend and some people would park there, but he said there was no cars, there was no people. And he looked at me and he said, well, you know, that's weird. He said, if you hear anything else, call back and, and we'll come out and check it out again. I can't tell you what it was or who it was, but just keep an eye out. And I was just, um, I said, okay. And he left and everything. And I was just so baffled by that. And I called Bill and he's like, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I've never heard of them doing that, but I know that they have the ability to grab something, drag it, and pull it back. And unless somebody was running around those woods with night vision, digging into people's garbage cans, right? I don't know what it would have been. Like, And I had heard a howl close to the house, like, like I said, about five days before that, because we'd been staying there for a couple weeks to visit. And... Um, I just became really freaked out at that point because of the slapping and banging on the house. It was a little bit unnerving, I have to say. <laughs> sure, with all the combination of things. 
Yeah, I was like, I've never been afraid in the park, but I won't go there by myself anymore, and I won't go with just my son anymore. I have to have somebody with us. That's a good but, plan. <laughs> yeah, but um, so I, I've been studying, and I and I joined the JRG. I'm one of the new PA reps. So oh, good job. Yeah, definitely. I definitely have talked to a couple people from the area uh, within a couple hours of me that have had some uh activities so i plan on getting out and doing some uh research and and getting to know some of these areas because i know a friend of mine has a camp up in the allegheny national forest area and he's ex he said that there's been some weird activity up there but he always just thought it was deer or something so mm -hmm. it's you know i have a good field to uh to look for stuff in well, welcome to the JRG, and I'm, I'm glad to have you, and always good to have good people out in these areas. Hey, I was looking for a good group. I know um, there's the one main group that I'm not going to mention that, um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I looked into their credentials and stuff, and it just seemed a little off, and I didn't like how they did things. And, and like you've mentioned on your show, they change witness encounters to, to fit their bill. and Exactly telling people what's really happening you're never going to find out what's really going on if you're saying hey that's not right you saw this it's the same as somebody saying you didn't see that you saw a bear. i mean you're telling somebody what they saw or what they experienced and i like that the org calls it like they see it and that's the only way to do it i mean you you see something you report the way it is what you saw what happened and relate yep. it that way yeah, and I take my pictures and I show them. Um, Jeremiah, he said, yeah, it looks like you got some interesting things going on there. I sent him a couple pictures yesterday, and I sent him one of a print, and he said, that that looks really legit. <laughs> and I oh, was good. surprised. He's like, that's really legit. Because, I mean, unless somebody's letting their, like, 12-year-old run around the park in January with, like, no shoes on, I mean, mm -hmm. they Would still got problems, you know what I mean? But, um there's some interesting stuff going on and i'm always the first to say you know i can't say for sure but this was interesting so i'd rather have it than not have it you know i take pictures and save them and and that's what i've always done too is many many things i i wasn't sure i took pictures documented it mm -hmm. because something may happen down the road that connects that to something yeah. more concrete yeah, and, and things change, and there's new things. Like, um, we had bad storms this winter, and most of their structures, and there had been a few, like, started. They were all, except one, had all been destroyed. And um, now we're finding what we believe to be a lot of directional markers. Um, we see a lot of big trees mm -hmm. wedged into other ones or actually weaved into other ones. And they all seem to be pointing one general area and they're all in that one big area where we find stuff. And I actually wanted to ask, I, I don't know, I've never seen this before. I didn't know if you knew what they might be doing, but around the perimeter of the one field, we found, um, now there's pine trees there, but they're not everywhere. We found pine cones wedged into the brush before the brush like got all the leaves and berries and stuff on it we found they you know they're all kind of like still dead because it was in like uh april or something we found this but um we found pine cones wedged 
into these bushes, like about three feet off the ground. And we found about five or six of them all around the perimeter of this field. Like they had to have been deliberate, like they were deliberately placed there. They were physically put into these bushes and there was no pine trees around for them to fall out of. And Mm. they didn't flow into there and they were all around the same height. I didn't know what, what that could have been or what they might've been doing. We were thinking that maybe there was a new group or maybe a rogue one in the area and they were just really getting hell bent on marking their territory. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't seen that usually on a, on an open area like that. If there's something they'll, and I've seen this a few times where they'll mark uh, by snapping the tree over around the perimeter of that. And it'll kind of a warning to others that, Hey, this is a, you know, a, a busy area for humans. Yeah, yeah, we found the directional markers, like the trees, and then, like I said, then around that one field, because the way the park is, is there's trees, and then there's big open fields, and they're surrounded by those trees, and around the perimeter of that one field is where we found all those pine cones, and like I said, unless somebody just decided to walk around the park and stuff these pine cones into these brush, brush, I don't know... I don't know what that might have been, but we also found at the end of that field, we found another little structure popping up that hadn't been there. And we found, I'll have to send you the pictures, but I did send it to Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. We found a a mark on a tree, like a black mark. Mm -hmm. I'd say about five and a half feet up, something like that, five, six feet up. And um, Bill had noticed it, and he said, I don't know what this is. It was a black mark on a tree, and he he said it almost looked like a handprint. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, and I've never seen it. It's not on any of the other trees. It could be some weird natural growth, but it really looks like somebody had just, like, because that's a little hill again. It looks like maybe somebody was grabbing that tree to balance themselves while going down that hill. So we weren't sure. I took a picture of it. You know, Jer said, you know, that's some interesting stuff. I've never seen that. That would be amazing if that's what it was. <laughs> I yeah, would love to go yeah, back like, and look. I'd like to again. see that to see, uh, maybe, yeah. maybe get a, an impression of that. Yeah. I have a bunch of pictures. We, we document things. We usually have me, in the pictures or my foot in the pictures or the mm-hmm. possible tracks because I'm an easy reference. I'm five foot nothing. <laughs> and my <laughs> shoe is like five and a half or women six, like even. So it's easy to tell, you know what I mean? Like uh, with my height, oh, she's five foot. So it's this much bigger than her and everything. Right. And uh, most of the prints we found are not much bigger than my feet. They're not. That's why he says, I think that, there's a family group here or juveniles yeah, because juveniles, yeah. yeah because we we found a couple bigger impressions that may have been bigger ones because there's little patches in the grass around the field you know where there's just not as much grass and it's a little muddy but i don't think the bigger ones i think they know not to step directly into the mud they know to cover their tracks and i think the little ones might just do it on accident and then you occasionally find a prince mm-hmm. and i said most of them are only uh, uh an inch or two bigger than mine but the one i sent jer has like splayed toes and a very good impression i mean that's what really stuck out for that one um and all of the ones that we found 
definitely look like bare footprints. They're mm -hmm. not they're not shoes. We've seen boot prints and everything like that. It's just really interesting stuff, and I love it, and I'm so excited that it's all happening right here. And then there's a lot of activity right around where I live, so I want to get up here into the woods up here and and do some digging because I don't live too far from uh, my ex with his apple tree. Yeah, that's, that's a very active part of the country. And I never, yeah, and I didn't know that. I thought, you know, when I started looking, at, I'm like, this has to be you know, Pacific Northwest, like that's where they're at. That's where you find them. That's the hot spot. And I started looking this up and then, you know, you have like the Jacobs footage and everything. Like there's a lot of things going on in this area. And then I started, my friend told me, you have to look at missing 411. And I looked at that, watched a, a lecture from David Politas. And um, he was answering questions and stuff. And he actually said that the state of Pennsylvania had so many clusters that the whole state is a cluster. And then there's clusters within the cluster. And I was like, wow, okay, I like to go out into the woods and I'm in Pennsylvania and I have a child. And that really drew my attention. Um, so I just think there's really a lot more activity around here than people realize. I was so surprised. No, I mean, and I do think that some of the missing 411s are definitely related to this because I have developed a good impression of these creatures. Like, I was talking to Jer about it, and I've come up with, like, profiles in my mind, and I, I really like that your group and you have so much information because then you can lead us in the right direction. If I have somebody that's witnessing something, you can say, eh, no, it's probably not that, or right. yeah, more into this i mean that this is really what's going on or what's not and um i told him i said you know i really think the ones that we've seen i think they're never alone and i think they typically know how to, they're not i imagine i would imagine that they are always keeping an eye out i'm sure that they have watched us i, I tell bill when we go into the woods i said i don't know if they know english or anything maybe they recognize a good tone from a bad tone, but we just kind of voice, you know, oh, hey, we're here just to look, you know, and, and we're not, we don't do anything weird. We don't have any weapons. I want to start carrying bear spray, but we don't really go back too far anymore. But um, we never disturb anything. I don't take things from their structures. We'll look, we'll take pictures, and then we leave. You know what I mean? We don't linger. We don't, mm -hmm. because I don't know. I think that they know and they get to recognize people. Am I correct? Like, and they would kind of, they have to recognize you by sight or smell or sound. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like other primates are very visual. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing that confuses them is if you're all dressed exactly alike. Yeah. As, as yeah. How many people are there? Yeah. And I liked your, what you were saying about how you should dress alike and how you should, pretend that you're talking to other people that don't exist. <laughs> yeah, you want to you want to keep yourself protected because you're talking about something that's very likely an apex predator. Yeah. And and you want to keep on guard. I mean, just because they're not bothering you doesn't mean that they won't. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. Yes, and yeah, and I never take it for granted because they could be okay with you right now, but if they have little ones or they're territorial and there's a male in the group, I think males I think I don't know. I personally think they probably can tell the difference and they might feel a bit challenged by a male. And I just think that they 
they could change their mind about you at any minute and you never know when you're going to be fine and then go from being okay to having one of these horrendous encounters that you hear of where they, people chased and mm -hmm. are terrified. And they've typically got a nasty disposition anyway, so you, you definitely <laughs> want to keep that in mind all the time. Yeah, like, I don't think, I, I used to think, oh, maybe they're just, like, these, like, kindred spirits, and I have the utmost respect for them, because I do believe they are the apex mm -hmm. and I, I think they outweigh us second to none. If we don't have weapons, we're nothing, and they could dispatch us, mm -hmm. and I think that more often than not, they are as hidden as they are because they don't take any crap and they don't take any chances. I think when they're seen, I really only think it's either by sheer accident because they're absolutely distracted by something. Or it's on or, purpose. Yeah, or if a young one has drawn attention to themselves, I feel like an older one will make itself known to draw attention away from the young one. Like... Is that what happened in the Patty film? I thought I heard that somewhere. Well, that they Patty. That was what I suspected. I asked Renee DeHendon yeah. about that many years ago. I said, yeah. you know, it, it doesn't make sense. The creature could have gone the other direction and disappeared in a matter of a couple of seconds. Yeah. But, but it didn't. It went out across the open creek bed for quite some distance, you know, in full view of Patterson mm -hmm. and Gilman. And it can't even turn back once to look almost as if to make sure they were still there. Yeah. And... I said, was there any presence of a young one there? And he, he says, no, mm -hmm. no, nah, nah. you know, of course he didn't buy all that. And, <laughs> and my, you know, uh, departed friend, Bobby short told me that just the August prior, now this was October. They got the film in August. Uh, Bob Titmus or was it, it was Roger. Patton, no, it was Bob Titmus, uh, had found and cast juvenile tracks on, on the same sandbar. So, oh, wow. I, you know, I, I just kind of had to wonder about that. Yeah, really, and um, that makes sense because any anyone you know would naturally want to protect their child. And I just listened yesterday to an old to the the thing in in Hanabi, Hanobia, what however you say that. Um, I listened to that, uh, you know, where the family was having trouble and the Bigfoots had actually put sticks around the perimeter of their house to know like mark where they're their motion sensor lights, you know, come on and stuff. So I just have been learning just how smart these things are. And I learned, I listened to another account where there was a deathbed confession where some guy claimed to somewhere here on the East coast to have shot one after the government had corralled them into an area because they were being a problem. Mm -hmm. And the first thing it did was it was a mother and a and a juvenile was she took the juvenile into the brush and hid it so um so that would make sense that that they would show themselves i think that's one of the only reasons they show themselves unless that they absolutely you're just somewhere you're not supposed to be mm -hmm. and they're like look you need to be out of here right now <laughs> i right. mean and that's why i think people like out in the woods like where we lived in the middle of nowhere we had an abundance of food right in our yard, I mean, we, we had chickens and guineas and goats. We had goats at one point, and we had turkeys. And, you know, um, I mean, they're going to come in and get their food, No, you know, no matter wherever they need to find it. And I think that that's just what happens. People like to build houses in the middle of nowhere in their territory 
and I think we're going to have more and more run-ins with them. And I honestly think there are so many more people that have run-ins with them that absolutely will not report it. Oh, yeah. I've known that for many years. Many, many more people for every one uh, for every one person that reports something, there's probably, I mean, I, of course, this is a guesstimate, maybe 20 that will never say anything. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm telling you, like, the jokes and the ridicule. I stopped talking to people about it because, you know, my aunt is a good example. She insists that I believe in UFOs. Why does she insist that? Because she says she saw one. Mm -hmm. She saw one many years ago. She followed it. It was out in the country. And I believed her. Every time she tells the story, she tells it exactly the same way. She's not lying. So I told her, I said, you want me to believe that because you have witnessed something. And I said, well, I'm telling you, I have witnessed things. I have pictures. I've seen things. But she still, people find it so hard to believe that a Bigfoot couldn't exist, but they'll believe in other things like UFOs and go. And I'm not mm -hmm. dog who believes in that i believe there are many things out there but i just don't understand why people are so adamant about oh there's no way a bigfoot could exist i i don't know if it's because it's so close to us or it's so much more of a danger to us or i think i think in general they just don't want to yeah that has to be it because they're out there and i i know the government knows mm -hmm. that they I mean, everybody's like, why? Why aren't there pictures? Why hasn't one been shot? Why don't the government? That well, has all and, happened. And there are those things. People yeah. just tend to ignore them. My latest book, Bigfoot Evidence, is full yeah. of, I've got around 130 pictures in there of different forms of evidence, including yeah. pictures of these things. And mm -hmm. people still want to make that comment. Yeah, and then, you know, you know, like my, my a couple of friends of mine have given me the argument, oh, well, you know, with all the cameras and phones and, and their pictures are all blurry. and the, Well, yeah, because, you know, try to look at a bird and pull out a camera and focus it and get it clicked over to your camera and take a picture within two seconds. You, you know what I mean? You confront an 800-pound monster, you're not, you're, the last thing yeah. in your mind is to pull a camera out and say, cheese. You know what yeah, I mean? Tapping <laughs> your pants, not worrying about taking a picture. Exactly. <laughs> like, when I took that picture when I was up on that playground thing. It was only because, like, that lasted for seriously a good 15 minutes. But it was like playing possum. It was com completely still, except for just that, like I said, it would just be a little bit out from the tree and mm -hmm. then a little bit back. But other than that, and then eventually it started to try to move down that hillside but if i hadn't noticed the color and i i know what the color of the trees and everything look like at that time of year if you were just somebody who didn't pay attention to that you never would have saw it you never would have been the wiser and i don't know how people can explain the structures except oh boy scouts were in here building again or something i don't know i just i, I don't get it and and that leads out to the back of the park and there's also a power line that they can follow down there. Mm -hmm. A lot of deer run through there. It leads up into the country where there's a lot of farms. And there's a big farm right close to there, actually, where they grow a huge crop of um, feed corn. Mm -hmm. You know, it's right on the backside of that park. And you can get there from that part of the, of the park. So um, I definitely think they're up there. And um, I think that it's only a matter of time, you know, 
you go up there, you're going to see something else. You're going to get more evidence. I don't know that we'll ever see one. I think that one was literally just caught by accident. It was watching. Nobody had been there. And then we showed up. And he was like, uh-oh. And it had to hide. And then it was just trying to retreat. But um, Well, it's like playing the lottery. If you don't play, you can't win. So if you're not out there yeah. looking, you don't yeah. see anything. Yeah, and somebody said to me, why is it that all the Bigfoot researchers have all these sightings and all these instances and other people go into the woods for 20 years and they never see anything? And like Jeremiah and I were talking, we said, well, one, because we know what to look for because we've done our homework. And secondly, because we go to areas that are known to have a lot of activity. We're going into an area where they're supposed to be and trying to run into them. And secondly, other people probably have heard them or seen them or smelt them and just blown it off as a skunk or as a squirrel or as exactly. a deer. Yeah, exactly. I, I interviewed a gentleman earlier today who, who made that exact comparison. He says, you know, he was an avid hunter uh, and probably saw and heard a lot of things that he didn't realize were connected until he actually saw one of these things and and heard some of the sounds and other other things that were going on and they started connecting the dots so yeah. and that happens yeah and you know and you they can't say that they can't hide because like i've taken pictures just for reference about where we go do our research and it is so thick back there in the summer in fact last year I was there with my son and Bill, and we were on this one trail, and all of a sudden, we heard this, like, explosive noise through the brush, and something shot right past us. We had kicked up a deer that was literally five feet beside us. Sure. We hadn't seen it, and it freaked out and decided to bolt instead of just staying there and waiting. And it damn near ran us over. And that's a perfect example of, hey, there was something literally five feet beside us. And we, we did not see it. When you have a lot of ground cover and the brush is thick and everything, they're literally hiding in plain sight. Right. And these guys typically don't need to hide because they're they're out of the areas where people are in the daytime for the most yeah. part. So yeah. they aren't even close. Yeah. Now, what are the blind, like, what are the um, TP structures for? Do you guys have any um, ideas? You know, to be honest, I, I'm actually still kind of up in the air about all these things because uh, they're not something that I found out in the forest. Uh, mostly what I've seen are the tree breaks and twists. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, it's not to say that they don't do them, but if they are, then it's some kind of a marker. It's, it's marking uh, some kind of purpose that we don't really understand yet yeah because it's nothing they can hide in because you can see straight through them yeah it's like, it's it's not for purposes like that yeah and we've seen some breaks we have a couple of tree breaks that are up about nine feet from the ground mm -hmm. i honestly have never seen one it's a it's a really big round tree too i've I, we, we found two of them a couple months ago i took pictures of them i honestly can't say if they broke them or if it was natural mm -hmm. they are just literally broke to like a 90 degree angle and right. it's it really stuck out it was it was odd and other trees were not broken and the tree appeared healthy and then we found a really i took a really good picture of this tree where the whole root end where the root was supposed to be there were no roots there but it was flipped upside down and stuck into the fork of this other tree 
now that kind of stuff is just not natural so yeah, that send, send me some of your pictures i can probably give you some insight on them yeah i absolutely will we have a bunch because we've taken them over the past two and a half three years i'll send you the best ones but this stuff really started cropping up it only started coming up about like i said three years ago when that sighting was i used to go to that park literally my whole life and mm -hmm. i've never seen anything so whatever they are they haven't been in that particular area very long mm -hmm. so i don't know i don't really think that they migrate um i think that they probably eventually move on but they haven't been there forever right yeah i could do some checking i, I have some contacts in the area too and uh we're running a little short on time but uh I, what i'd like to do is a follow-up with you uh, you know, to kind of get an update as your research progresses there. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, we always go out there. Okay, awesome. And I'll, I'll get back with you. I'll let you know what I find out from my contact in the area. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Well, listen, it's been great chatting with you. Very interesting information. Thank you. And I definitely have to have you back because I'd like, I like to do updates, especially with our JRG people. Uh, yeah. Something I want to do a little bit more of. Mm -hmm. I talked about doing it some time ago, and I need to uh, make make contact with our teams around the country and elsewhere and, and do some regular updates. Yeah, and I've actually gotten a hold of somebody um, through the group who lives in Ohio. Um, I'm not far. I'm only about an hour from the Ohio border, and he's literally only about three and a half hours from me. And we've already kind of made unofficial plans to meet and work this whole area. Oh, so good. Very good. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, good chatting with you, and right. and send me the pictures, and, and I'll uh, give you some feedback and, and keep in touch. I will. I will make a, a big file for you and email it to you. All right. Well, listen, you have a good evening, and we'll you talk too. again soon. All right. Thanks. In Bigfoot History near Butedale, British Columbia, July 1965. Jack Taylor, Butedale, told Bob Titmus that he had gone fishing close to the mainland shore opposite Butedale, where he saw several huge two-legged creatures, two in a rocky island, one swimming towards it from the shore, and he thought a couple more walking down the beach. The closest was about 75 yards away. He stopped when he noticed them and had trouble getting his outboard motor going. Since the one swimming out from the shore was coming rapidly in his direction, he got pretty excited about not being able to get start, but finally got it going and took off. The creatures were very heavily built and covered with dark hair. The one in the water swam very powerfully and very fast, with the water surging around his chest. Bob also talked to the man's fishing partner, who was late that day and was going out in his own boat when his friend roared past him with no sign of recognition. Welcome. This story is being brought to you by William Jevning and is being narrated by Jim Sower. Jackson County, Prospect, Oregon, Union Creek, 2001. Back in the winter of 2001, my youngest son and I were on our way from Boise, Idaho to Medford, Oregon. We'd taken the car trailer to his old place in Boise in order to haul his non-running Jeep to his new place in Medford. 
We hit an area of heavy snow in the southern Cascades around 2 o'clock a.m. It took 45 minutes or so to get down the mountain. We had, of course, been drinking coffee to stay alert. About 25 miles west of the pass, it became obvious that the last few quarts of coffee had to be drained. We stopped at a wide spot in the road near a summer tourist haunt, deserted in winter. There is a gas station and ice cream joint on the west side of the road, closed this time of year, and no town or settlement within 30 miles. This is tall timber country and unsettled. Across the road is a small parking area for the ice cream joint. It is paved and about 200 feet wide, 80 feet deep. I pulled in, and as I stepped out with my forty-five on my hip, it occurred to me in a flash that grabbing the 590 Mossy would be good. As we walked to the far end of the area to be well off the road, the hair on my arms and the back of my neck stood on end. The area directly to the front was open with a depth of fifty yards and a width of one hundred yards. The night was clear and cold, eight to ten inches of snow on the ground and with a moon almost full, so we could see quite well. While standing and taking a leak with my son about fifteen feet to my right, I saw, as if springing from the earth in front of us across the open area, ten or twelve creatures moving rapidly back and forth in sort of a thatch-weave pattern. These things, not human men, were close to seven feet tall, thin, bipedal with long arms, medium-length gray fur, and damned fast on their feet. I brought the shotgun up and slid the safety off, as my son was drawing his forty-five. I don't know if I can adequately explain the overwhelming feeling of menace, but here goes. I had been operating on pure instinct since I had stepped from the pickup. The rotten feeling hit me a split second before the things arrived. The feeling, instinct, was that we were prey and subject to a very bad death, and to be slaughtered and eaten, not a logical process, but feeling, a gut feeling, and massively overwhelming. As they were moving around in front of us, more appeared and mixed among them, all the while running about fast in front of us. My son and I were backing toward the truck. I would not present my back to them, and some of them peeled off right and left, in an encirclement movement. They were rolling in fast from the sides now. I could smell and feel their presence. We got to the truck, loaded on adrenaline and ready to kill. As we both knew we were in grave danger, we piled into the truck, locked the doors. I had keys out and ready as my butt neared the seat. I had the engine lit and transmission in gear and gas pedal mashed in one motion. Adrenaline is great stuff. As we fled, yes, fled, something very close by let out an undulating scream of rage and pain. I believe one or more of the group had gotten really close to us, and in their pursuit I ran over the foot of one of them. Yeah, they were that close. We rolled onto the highway, and I told my son to watch the bed of the pickup as well as the trailer, he already was indexed to the rear with a shotgun. We hauled ass for at least twenty miles before the feeling of grave danger started to abate. The feeling that 
nailed both of us as we discussed soon afterwards was one of being prey and soon to be slaughtered and eaten. I am not easily led and neither believe or disbelieve all the Bigfoot, ghost, and werewolf stuff. In fact, I am skeptical. My son was speaking with a co-worker about six months later who had grown up in Prospect, Oregon, about 30 miles south of Union Creek where the incident took place. He asked Jake if he had ever heard of any strange goings-on in the area. Jake went ashy white and pretty much retold the above tale. He says to avoid that place at night. A family friend, a 25-year retired cop not given to flights of fancy and an excellent observer, had a tale very similar from a year before. I told my wife of this event, of course. She looked at me at the beginning as though I had developed a third eyeball in the center of my forehead. That was from shock. She did believe me, but did not wish to hear any details. She said the tale gave her chills. Me too. As I write this, the hair on the back of my neck and forearms is sticking up. I have not gone back to explore and would not go without a large group of shotgun and flamethrower-equipped men with me. My son and I are both sane, sober persons and not taken to hysteria. We were wide, very wide awake as things transpired. We saw and smelled what was there. As a sidebar, neither of us heard footfalls from the creatures. They were silent until I heard one as we were getting the hell out of there. To my knowledge, and I have researched, there is nothing that matches these creatures unless one considers old legends and folk tales of weir creatures. To conclude... I have to fall back on Elmer Keith's famous line. Hell, I was there. This ends the story. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G, at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open out there. <laughs>